0: Hello, everybody. This is Charlie. This is To Hell and Back, a podcast uh, that I started uh, almost four years ago, right around the time the Hurricane Maria happened in Puerto Rico. That's a marker of my memory because right after that, one of my first podcasts for a couple of weeks was to interview a therapist who lived in, in uh, Puerto Rico. But anyway, um, and it is, uh, what is it, the 11th of March. Uh, It's six o'clock East Coast time uh, here in Northampton, Massachusetts. And uh, what's really cool this time is that I have three people joining me, um, three colleagues um, who I consult to about their um, treatment program and their therapy cases at Clearview Women's Treatment Program in uh, Los Angeles, I guess in Venice. Mm -hmm. and uh, which, which, which is Venice in Los Angeles, that Venice. Um, <laughs> unfortunately,
1: not Venice unfortunately,
0: in Italy. That would be yes, nice. <laughs> for the water like people do in Venice. And um, they are, the three of them, which is uh, Nicole Riddle and Kate Rorig and Ruth Avalos, are all full-time therapists at uh, working at the women's treatment program it's a residential treatment program in uh, at clearview okay. in los angeles and um they've done a lot of dbt therapy and skills training and nicole is a clinical leader in the world at uh, clearview and i've <clears throat> known her for a long time because i've worked a lot with clearview over the years And we were just having a conversation um, in a recent consultation, um, a Zoom call, where um, we were talking about the application of the emotion regulation model and skills to uh, treatment. And uh, we got into it a bit. And then I thought, you know, that's just the topic I was on in the podcast um, or, or was heading into. And I thought, how... I, would, I thought it'd be really interesting if we all just carried that conversation on here so that those of you who are interested in the real applications of what uh, the emotion regulation model in DBT, which I talked about in some detail in the last podcast, I mean that um, like just practical applications that they have uh, come across that they've used and so they're going to share that and we're just going to have a dialogue about that and see if we can all get smarter uh, by the end of this hour using <laughs> uh, uh, Marshall Inahan's emotion regulation ideas and model to uh, to change emotions. Um, so welcome, guys. It's very nice to have have you guys here and not just be totally alone like most of us. <laughs> <my friends.
2: laughs> uh, thanks for having us, Charlie. Yeah. Thanks, Charlie.
0: Thanks, Charlie. Yes, and even though I usually uh, am nervous about what I'm going to say, because I'm not sure what I'm going to say in the podcast, I, 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 I'm i less nervous, because now I have three of them, and I don't know what they're going to say either, so it's like <laughs> only one quarter of that is me, and rather than that is me. so it's on them, um, uh, and we're all using emotion regulation strategies before we start, as I do every week. Yes. So what I want to get us going by um, a little just some thoughts I've been having literally up to today, usually when I'm focusing on a podcast or a topic or even if I'm teaching a certain skill in DBT, my mind gets going on that again and and then I come up with a, a somewhat different way than I've usually thought of it usually or it puts it together. So I just want to give I want to take about 10 minutes and give some overview and that leads up to, uh, what are like how do how would you practically apply this so here's i'm I realized in order to get myself organized, I have three things to say um, The first thing is this: it was a thought experiment that occurred to me today. We talk so much about dysregulation of emotions when we use d b t um and how to deal with dysregulation of emotions that we rarely talk about perfect emotion regulation like no dysregulation of emotions what would that look like and i thought i don't usually think about that so i thought i would think about that so i'm going to tell you from the perspective of this model of emotions here would be ideal emotion regulation here's how it would go you know you'd be going through your day i don't know you're doing the dishes or you're walking down the street or you're sitting in a meeting or you're like figuring out what to do with your dog who's throwing up in the living room or whatever it is <laughs> going on whatever is going on we always are regulating emotions so let's say we had perfect emotional regulation here with the idea is that is that we would be in pretty good balance most of the time we would have you might say a good emotional immune system uh, that's going along pretty well we get decent sleep Uh, we would, you know, be reasonably well-nourished. We would have a reasonable rhythm in our lives between activity and exercise and rest and then other things we're pursuing. We wouldn't be sick. Or if we were sick, we would be handling it in a balanced way or at least doing what we're supposed to be doing to try to get better. Uh, We wouldn't be heavily using substances. Um, So we'd be, like, at baseline. This is before anything happens. We would be reasonably okay um, and reasonably balanced in our mind and in our body Um, with an emphasis on the word reasonably because never perfectly. And and then something would happen. Like I said, maybe we break a dish while we're washing the dishes or the dog would throw up or we would be walking down the street and we would see somebody coming that we were afraid of uh, or some car that came close to us driving by and that we were pissed off about that or something else when we're in a meeting and somebody would say something hurtful to us. Things happen, right? Unless we just cocoon ourselves. And then if we cocoon ourselves, that's what's happening. So things are always happening. Reality is always happening. And so reality comes at us when we're in a certain state of mind and certain state of body. And then what happens is that we have an emotional response to reality. We're afraid. We're disgusted by the dog throwing up, and we're worried about it, and we're upset about it. You know, we're um, we're sorry that we broke the dish. We're disappointed. We're frightened about the person walking down the street. Whatever it is, there is a natural emotional response we aren't like Spock. we are not just void of emotional responses we are having emotional responses to every damn thing that comes by at whatever level you know maybe it's not a high level and and we aren't really having to think about it if you're well emotionally regulated i would think it's mostly happening under the hood and you don't really have to lift up the hood it's you're just driving along right and everything's all right all right and what do your emotions do? They kind of they, they get you to do stuff, they get you to take action, you know, and hopefully, if you're well regulated, quote unquote, you take effective action. You respond appropriately to reality. If somebody's walking down the street and they are frightening, truly frightening, and you've had a bad encounter with them before and they have hurt you, then your well-being might be at stake. And so you would have a fear response, and your fear response is completely in touch. It's in touch with reality. That's what it's there for. It's there to get you to do something about it, to keep you so that your your genes go into the next generation. You know, it's like it keeps you moving forward. Or, or if you uh, these other things, with every one of them, there's an emotional response that gets you to do something. And that's what's called the action urge of an emotion. It's like you run away from something or if you are doing something that you're ashamed of because it's, it might get you ejected from a community, then you actually are aware of that. You, you get this bad feeling and you feel like, well, wait a minute, maybe I better not say anything more about that. Maybe I should keep to myself. You know, Maybe I should not expose this because it's actually going to expose me to um, alienation from other people. Or maybe I've already done something and other people, and my shame gets me to go apologize or to get me to do good works or gets me to be like to behave myself. And so it keeps me in community. So every emotion has its function, its action, its effective action. There's such a thing as your emotion, if it's well regulated, being effective, getting you to do effective stuff. Okay, so there you go. That's. That would be perfect emotion regulation. We just go along and we're always having emotions and we're always acting in accord with our emotions and our emotions are in accord with reality and accurately perceived and life goes on and we pursue our dreams and what that's it. Here's the problem with that. It's true of nobody. It just doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't happen that way. I don't care who you're talking about. I mean, everybody has, enters into situations primed by their history, where they've been hurt before, where they've backed off before, where they've learned stuff from other people, people they care about. They've learned stuff that they keep repeating to themselves. So then they perceive reality with that in mind rather than with an open mind that's accurately reading reality. We are just constantly, so our biology is primed by experiences, let's say you've had traumatic experiences and now you're seeing the guy come down the road who you're afraid of, but actually there's never been any evidence that he's frightening. He's never attacked you before. There's no real reason in reality to think he's going to attack you, but you are convinced he's going to attack you. Why are you convinced he's going to attack you? Not because he's actually in reality acting like he's going to attack you now, but because he reminds you of somebody or the situation reminds you of some time several years ago when you were out on a street at night and somebody attacked you. And so now that is what you're responding to. You're not responding to this person or this reality or this or street. You're responding to something that got built into you. You learned it. You were conditioned by your past. Or, you know, somebody comes up and, and questions what you're doing. Why are you walking on this street? Why are you walking on the right side of the street? Don't you realize you're supposed to walk on the left side of the street? And then you feel that's just input from reality, Right. And it might not be very skillful input, or it might be or might not. But actually, let's say that you have a history where people have made you feel very bad about yourself, and you've taken those messages in, and you've told yourself 8,000 times, there's something wrong with me, and someone's going to find it out. I always do stuff wrong. Okay, that isn't reality. That's the history of what you learned by previous modeling, and previous input, previous experience. So now you are biased and you are programmed. And we all are. So we, we can't really rely on perfect programming and perfect priming and perfect balance all the time and perfectly accurate reads of reality. We're always inaccurately reading reality here and there, not, all, not every minute, but here and there. So what it means so what does it mean to have really good emotion regulation? It doesn't mean that you don't ever fall off into these distortions. It doesn't mean that you accurately perceive things all the time, because that's just too high a standard. No one does that, you know, and still has emotions. And if you're just a purely rational person, that's a certain way of regulating emotions. It's actually not taking advantage of the richness of emotions. You're like suppressing emotions in order to not be in emotional pain. That's not emotion regulation in the way I'm talking about. I'm talking about emotion regulation means you actually feel everything I and mean, you feel stuff. And it gets you to do stuff, and that stuff generally works out okay. All right. So what does it mean? I think then, and this is my first main point, is that emotion regulation really means that you're always noticing when you're not emotionally regulating very well. In other words, you're already (laughs) screwing up in your read of reality. You're already distorting in your way of seeing things. You're already responding to the past instead of the present. And that's just the way life goes. You're just doing that. But some people never realize they're doing that. And they just keep doing it. And they end up banging their heads into things. I mean, they end up doing ineffective things. They end up doing things that are bad for themselves, bad for other people and stuff. And they're in pain, you know, and they don't quite get it. If so, I'm so the second point I want to make is that within the world of DBT, and I think it's more than just DBT, the best antidote. Ongoing present antidote, the best immune system, you might say, when it comes to emotion dysregulation, is that you are aware of it, that you are mindful, and you are using in DBT terminology, DBT speak, as somebody told me today in, in a group I was running, said, oh, in DBT speak, we would say, and, <laughs> in DBT speak, and, and it's sort of funny, but, um, but I think it's more than just DBT, we would say mindfulness. Being well able to observe actually what's happening as it's happening or just afterwards is an incredibly valuable skill that some people have, some people learn, you can learn. And it really means that you're keeping an eye on who you are and how you're interacting, and you're keeping an eye on other people, and you're trying to accurately read reality, and you're noticing that actually you aren't always accurately reading reality. So you're always having to kind of reel yourself back in and say, See, I wonder about that person on the street, for instance, and what you have to do when you start to re- say, God, I don't know, that person has never hurt me, or I don't know, why, why am I so frightened of this person on the street? That is a great question, because maybe there's a good reason to be frightened, and you just haven't figured it out, or maybe there's not, and it's from your past, and and therefore, you're you're about to walk past the most wonderful person in the universe walking by who you could have a great friendship with. And you never will, because actually you're terrified of this person because they are the way you perceive them. So it's kind of like observing mindfully what's going on already is the best self-correcting procedure we've got for emotion regulation. Mm-hmm. And it's why Marshall Linehan called it core mindfulness, because it's core to other skills. It's core to emotion regulation. If you can mindfully notice what's going on with you, inside you, outside you, you know, you scan yourself and say, God, why am I so scared of this person? And then you say to yourself, hmm, actually, he walks by here every day, now that I think of it. And he always looks like that. And I've never noticed him do anything that's frightening. But actually, he's reminding me of another situation in my life 10 years ago. But actually, he isn't that situation. In other words, you're like, your mindfulness gets you to start talking to yourself in a way that is corrected. It's assessing what is going on here. And that's so smart that it helps you start to calm down a little bit or at least assess the situation and regulate. So my second point I wanted to make after talking about how perfect emotion regulation begins with the fact that you have to assume that you have imperfect emotion regulation all the time. And you're just, so the second point is that your first procedure you want to call it that the first thing to do is to be mindful of what's actually going on and be mindful of what's going on inside you in your body in your mind in your thoughts in in your impulses and notice all that and just scan it because actually if you do that probably you'll solve 90 percent of the problem yourself you won't need to learn the rest of the skills that that'll already, because I personally think this whole module of skills about emotion regulation just grow naturally out of being mindful
3: mm-hmm.
0: of having an emotion. It's just because the third, here's the third point. The third point is that when you are mindful of an emotion, um, at first, it's just sort of like, oh, there's this person on the street. Ah, freak out. Oh, my God, I'm scared. I'm, pa- I'm in a panic attack. And, and it's like, I'm going to go run and put my head in the sand. And it's sort of like, okay, that happened. I made it. <sighs> Thank God. You know, that's it. That's emotion regulation. No, that's not good emotion regulation. It's, it's actually because you can't regulate, you have to do something extreme like that. So to be good emotion regulation would be You know what, I'm going to sort of take up the role of observer of myself, observer of my thoughts, observer of my interpretations, observer of my body, observer of my heartbeat, observer of the panic in my stomach, observer of this actual person and what he's actually doing observer of how my past enters into my present in other words if you take the role of an observer watching yourself and watching what's going on which is what mindfulness is all about and you you tend to calm down you tend to set you slow things down a little bit you wake up a little bit to reality and you might decide yeah you know what i don't think i should come closer to that person he's been a stranger in this neighborhood and nobody knows him. So actually, what is going on? There is something to be wondering about here. But it's more, it's more specific than just freak out because he's like mm-hmm. somebody from 10 years ago. So emotion regulation is when you actually settle down with your mindfulness into the components. Because this is the brilliant thing about this model of emotions is that it's what you find out. You don't have to know DBT. You find all of these ingredients, all of these components in the model of emotion. If you just stop, look and listen, if you just sort of settle down and you notice, yeah, because what are you going to find out? You're going to start to think, yeah, what is going on? What is going on in reality versus in my mind? And what is going on in my mind? What are these thoughts and where are these thoughts coming from? And what's going on in my body? Let me notice that and track that. And what's going on in my impulses? What do I feel like doing? I feel like running and putting my head in the sand and hiding out behind a tree so that this person doesn't see me because they're going to kill me. It's sort of like, so you start to notice these things. And what are these things? These are the components of the model of emotions that Linehan put in this uh, manual. It's like, these are them. So actually, if you just stop, look and listen and settle down into your emotion, it sort of softens and it breaks into its ingredients. It breaks up into its components. And then when it does that, then you can say, oh, God, I'm really distorting because I actually don't know this person at all and I'm assuming he's terrifying. So now you may need to correct that part of your emotion regulation system, the part that is misinterpreting, or at least it's jumping to a conclusion inappropriately because you don't have enough information. And you realize that and say, maybe I should get some more information. And you've already corrected not only your thinking, you've corrected your whole emotion regulation response. Or maybe you realize that if you run and hide your head in the sand, you're giving into your urge, you're giving into your impulse. And maybe once you recognize, huh, maybe this isn't the best solution to this. Maybe I should sort of stay present and keep an eye on what's happening and act against the urge to run away. And actually, I should stay safe but present and interact even with this person. Say, hi, I haven't known you before. Who are you? And maybe have an encounter, which would be to go against your urge, which is another one of the many skills that comes out of this. So in other words, it breaks down into about 10 components that I outlined last week, um, which are sort of sequential in one way, but actually they sort of all happen at once. So it helps you sort of like Turn. Put the microscope on your emotional response, and keep adjusting your microscope at more and more levels of magnification, until you start to actually see it break down into its ingredients. So I'm going to stop there because what we want to do is I've asked I've asked um, Ruth and Kate and Nicole each to just sort of think about how they've used the model or parts of the model themselves even with, them, with themselves or with other people they've known or worked with. Although I've also told them something I always have to keep in mind is that if I talk about anyone I've worked with, I have to sort of significantly disguise that <laughs> so nobody has to worry that their confidentiality is going to be breached. So let me just ask first, you guys, your response to any part of what I've just been saying, because you you teach this stuff all the time. And I just wonder if this perspective uh, makes sense to you or if it brings in anything different or it's an, any different twist on it or whatever. So anybody can just go ahead.
2: I, I love it. Oh, go
3: ahead. Go for it, Ruth. Oh, I was gonna say, I love it. Like everything you were saying, Charlie, that's, that's how I like to use the model myself. Um, I just, it's a lot about like the mindfulness piece of just being really aware of like what's going on. Like sometimes I don't even know exactly what I'm feeling. All I know is I'm starting to feel the different parts, the different components. And mm-hmm. um and then that helps me figure out like, okay, something's up. I'm feeling dysregulated, something's going on. Um, mm-hmm. I might not be able to pin down exactly what it is. And that gives me though info to begin starting to address it, like either through skills or whatever it is I need to do in that moment. So yeah, I agree with you. Mindfulness is a so, is a huge
0: so what tells you What tells you it's time to raise that question about your emotional response? Like when do you need to open, you know, as I put it in a metaphor, lift up the hood? Why, when when do you know to sort of stop driving and look in the engine?
3: Um, I think it depends on the emotion. Um, I was, I was thinking of a recent example um, that, Kate and Nicole are aware of this about like my cat, my cat recently had um, a little just a bad reaction to anesthesia. And I had a lot of fear come up that at that night. um And I don't I don't remember thinking, oh, I'm feeling fear now. Like, no, I wasn't thinking that I remember just feeling all the different parts to it. And I remember for me would stood out the most was um well one i wanted just to cry and to kind of just hide and kind of freeze um and i wanted and i knew i like i wasn't thinking clearly and i knew that my goal was to problem solve my goal was to get her the help that she needed and yeah. i knew that
0: Mm -hmm. was At home by this point, or was it the hospital she
3: was no she was at home and she started having like just bad symptoms like she was really sick, um, and it was getting worse, Mm -hmm. and I so as I noticed that I noticed I started wanting to cry. And I started noticing that I wanted to freeze and I wanted to just kind of like hide. I just wanted to not be, I didn't want the situation to be happening in the first place. Um, And I knew that wasn't helpful because my goal was for her to be okay, for her to get the help that she needed. So that's when I paused to think, and I thought to myself, well, that's not going to be helpful. So I think to answer your question, like when I, for me, I guess in general, what might stand out for me and what, what might cause me to pause to like look under the hood is um, when I have a goal in mind and then I'm not able, some, it's, it's hard to reach it. It's hard to accomplish it. So at that moment, my goal was to get her the help that she needed. And I was wanting to do things that were, that was going to make it harder to do that. And so that's when I had to start becoming more aware, like what's going on right now? What do I need to do right now to help that? So, yeah.
0: what do you, I need to do about myself? You mean to? Yeah, about myself. Uh
3: huh. Yeah, and yeah, in regards to like like the thoughts that I was having, or like the urges to freeze or to hide, um, or just to cry. Um, and I knew I wasn't thinking clearly, so I knew I needed to pause and like, take some slow, deep breaths to be able to begin focusing again. Um, mm-hmm. Yes,
0: but it started <laughs> with you recognizing. Oh my God this is not the situation I want. I'm preoccupied with my own fear of mm-hmm. what's going on and I want to manage my own fear and I want to freeze myself. Mm-hmm. That's my over there. And, <laughs> and I want to. Take care of my cat. So it's kind of like I have to take care of myself first so I can take yeah. care of my cat.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, and it's not perfect. I love that you said that it's not like, we're going to be Dysregulated. There's no perfect way to regulate because I still cried. I still was not thinking as clearly as I could have been. Um, I still had moments where I was like, okay, I want to, I want to just stop. But then I kept. I kept addressing what was currently going on so that I could keep moving forward. So it wasn't perfect. and you No, know, yeah, because yeah. What would be perfect, <laughs> if, we,
0: if we were perfect specimens of emotion regulators, then you would get freaked out by the cat situation mm-hmm. and it would motivate you to only do one thing, which was take care of the cat. I mean, mm-hmm. if we were perfect, it would it would drive you that anxiety mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it, or the fear mm-hmm. of the cat really not making it. Would, have, mm-hmm. would get you to like do all of this right stuff for the cat but actually what happens is something gets caught up in you that's based on your biology or mm-hmm. something i don't know what it was based on like what were you afraid the cat was going to die
3: yeah that's always my biggest fear mm-hmm. with her <laughs> that's something bad's going to happen to her so yeah, yeah. that is But that, that's like my automatic thought was that that she's not going to make it yeah. And so yeah yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, I, I like that you love started with such a, you know, this, I thought you were actually going to have the example I sort of threw out there that your dog is like throwing up in the living room, but it was like, <laughs> your dog is actually having an anesthesia response. So, I mean, she I did. Actually- yeah, but I
3: mean, but, <laughs>
1: yeah, I actually was like, did Charlie know? Did we talk about this?
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Like,
0: laughs> Thank you. telepathy between, between uh, California and Massachusetts. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I just, I live with my dogs, and you know, I've been through that many times. You know, dogs throwing up and and, and they only throw up on the rug, you know, on the roof. (laughs) I know,
3: what is that? They
0: never just throw up where you could easily clean it. I know,
2: yeah.
0: So what about you, either Kate or Nicole, any response to sort of this system that I'm talking about or just any piece of it or with any example or anything of your own? Kate, go ahead because you were going to.
2: Yeah, yeah. Something you said, Charlie, about like looking under the hood. That's definitely one of the ways that I think about the model. The one that looks almost like a machine, that really kind of Mm -hmm. complex graph that's in the manual, is that um, a client brought this up in group several years ago and it just stuck with me. So I continue to kind of use it in this way, but it does look like a machine and it's almost this manual that helps you see the interactions and the flow and the just the movement of the experience that we have internally and how it influences different components all these different components are working together and influencing each other and it it's in the part of the manual where you're really increasing insight so it's almost like the you know the way that i think about it is it really is this user manual we really are looking under the hood and trying to plug things in to get more insight to see how one part of our experience that we might be more aware of than another can influence that and um, vice versa and see the after effects and all of that. And um, the other version of the model is more of like, after you understand that, if you have a grasp on how all the different components can happen and and, um, kind of work in concert with each other, that you can plug it into the more list version. It's not that you necessarily need to better understand what's happening under the hood. It's just to kind of start charting it for yourself and keeping track of it. Um, So Mm. with clients, when they really are having a hard time with emotion regulation, we'll often, when we're starting the work together on becoming more connected with that, we'll talk about it as if it's, hey, you've kind of learned how to regulate your emotions based off of someone else's user manual. The environment you've interacted with has kind of taught you through their own user manual, and it's just not compatible. And so we're going to plug things in and kind of see this different way of how to create your own user manual, kind of rewrite that and better understand it. Um, So when you said that kind of looking under the hood, it reminded me of those different things and how sometimes I will bring that into
0: session with folks. I love that. I love that way of doing mm-hmm. I've, I've never heard it described that way. But you know what it reminds me of, Kate, okay, is that when I've, when I've I, I don't understand engines very well, like uh, like actual engines. <laughs> I, I, I have many times been on the road and things aren't working, so I lift up the hood. I have no idea what I'm looking for. You know, it's just, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm acting. So, way mechanics that you know or who know what they're doing so i just like to look at the under the hood and i try to look the way they look when they're looking but they don't know what i'm looking for and and yet i have read i've read things in classes before in physics and stuff where, I, where i've learned here's how a, an engine works there's this and there's this and there's this it's sort of like the dbt emotion regulation model you spell it out component by component and say oh Okay, I get that idea. And then you look under the hood and you say, it doesn't look like that at all. I mean, it just looks like just one big mess with a lot of waters and stuff. And I, and I don't know what's going to what. And you're supposed to know. I mean, so actually that idea of we, you see, when I create my own user manual, I feel like I've, I've created my own user manual and I recreate it and I revise it. Mm-hmm. And, and it always starts with just, there's reality here, and there's my emotional response to it, and there's what I do with my emotion. <laughs> it's like a three-component uh, model. But then, if it isn't working out, and you look more closely, connected to that emotion in the middle of that model, there's also thoughts. So maybe my, maybe my, maybe my emotion is out of whack or isn't in tune with reality because I'm reacting to my thoughts, not to reality. Mm -hmm. And so now the thoughts are like an Mm add-on. So now I've got an add-on. And then I've got an add-on of all of my traumatic experiences and very painful losses that get triggered automatically, thoughts or no thoughts. They just get triggered in my body if I encounter certain things in reality. So there's these. I mainly think of that the part of the model is the natural flow of things. And then there's the add-ons. And the add-ons are problematic, like the add-on um, of my cat is going to die,
2: <laughs>
0: or and, and I know he's going to die, or or something like that. That's been planted in there. Like, what if you never thought he was going to die? You just think he's having an anesthesia reaction. I mean, I've had that with my children many times when they were growing up. I'm they're going to die. Like he's he's got a headache. He's going to die you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel some bump in my sternum, I'm going to die. So there's I'm going to die, he's going to die is always nearby. Um, and so that's an add on to reality. I mean, yeah, you might die, you're going to die, someone's going to die. <laughs> 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 right. So it isn't like a crazy thought. But it's not the thought that's helpful at the moment. And it's not even real, quite reality. So there's these add ons that, that get so up. So I have to build my model a little more detailed than just reality, my emotion, and my actions. I mean, I have to add in these other things and they turn out to be the same things that are in this mo- model, but I, it might be that the way we should work with people in DBT is uh, we should, you know, Kate should rewrite the manual on this and she should <laughs> just say, I, I give a lot of credit to Marshall Lineham, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something different here. And so what I'm gonna do is I want Our first thing this week is I want each of you to write down your own model and your own under the hood. How do you work? And start from there rather than tell everybody to look at this model and then think you know what you're doing. But anyway, I love that. I'm going to use that. I'm just going to... Now I know why we're doing this because I'm going to steal all of your... (laughs) Take it back into my work.
1: I was also... Reflecting on when you were describing that the user manual piece and unpacking all of those components of the model and how Ruth was describing, you know, all the different things that were going on kind of at once. And what helps to anchor your, Charlie, your question about what helps to anchor, like recognizing that you need the recalibration. Mm. Um, I think that so many people who have experienced pervasive invalidation, don't feel like they have the permission to even stop and check in with themselves in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I think that even before the mindfulness, the application of the mindfulness skills is also working on some, you know, challenging of myths about the emotions. I think that's also, you know, why that worksheet is in there. Um, of trying to challenge those myths and trying to come up with reframes about what we're allowed to do in our experience of ourselves. And um, so that's something I was thinking about as as well, um, that might be kind of precursor work or, or alongside.
0: Well, you know, what I like about what you're saying, too, is the, the concept of recalibration which you know, recently happened with my car because I had a windshield crack and then I had to have a new windshield. And then the safety mm-hmm. system that partly connects to the windshield had to be recalibrated. And that was going to mm-hmm. take hours or something before they could recalibrate. I was thinking about how you're going along in your life. And just when you think you've got your life calibrated, you know, something happens to your mother or to your best friend. to your dog or your cat or something happens that really throws you and it's very traumatizing or upsetting it's kind of like we need a period of recalibration after that because it's it's now harder because that gets thrown into the mix of of everything you just someone gives you an assignment at work and you start crying <laughs> you know, what does that have to, when You're not responding. You're 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 crying because you haven't yet rec- you haven't yet absorbed what happened, and we had a chance to sort of get your balance again. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm am You guys are undoubtedly working with people, and I'm working with people that are. Uh, there's good, there's going to have to be some recalibrating as the mm-hmm. pandemic. Hopefully, the pandemic is going to fade, and and that's yeah. going to require a lot of recalibrating. Like let's say you're 20 mm-hmm. years old and you were getting ready to finish college on go do something with your life and now it's a year later and nothing has happened. And, and, the, and the opportunities aren't there that were there a year ago or that you thought were gonna be there a year ago and the education you've got hasn't been what you expected and the friendships you were gonna make haven't developed this sort of like, whoa, you need a whole period. So it, you know the whole society is gonna to have to have a period of recalibration and find a balance again. Um, and sometimes the government doesn't help us with that. You know, we have to figure that out ourselves. And so the recalibration idea is really, I think, a very useful, um, a useful idea. And, um, you know, it's like it's, you know, how they say when you're in an airplane, you know, put your own oxygen mask on before you put your child's oxygen mask. In. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like recalibrate yourself before you try to recalibrate other people. It's like mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. those therapists get uncalibrated
1: too Um, absolutely and i think sometimes we can model that in moments i mean we definitely especially with the pace and everything here of being able to say to you know anyone in the environment whether it's a client that we're working with or you know each other what have you i need to do the stop skill and i'll be i'll be right back <laughs> You're know,
0: always promising to come you back. To what the stop skill is? Because a lot of people who listen to the podcast don't don't know the DBT skills. so Got what are it. You the what are you the DBT about? speak. Um, so the stop skill is from
1: um, the distress tolerance module, and it's the idea. It really is mindfulness, in essence. It's the idea of being able to the S is stop, um, take a step back observe and perceive mindfully. Um, and the idea with that is it's really allowing for that pause. And I, again, I go back to the permission piece that I think societally we're always taught, you know, who can speak the fastest and who can do this the quickest and you know what have you and you don't need to take breaks or if you take breaks that looks weak or what have you and trying to move away from those myths and really allow ourselves, to use that stop skill to take that pause. Mm.
0: Mm. You know, the other thing you said that I thought was interesting is if you're trying to recalibrate or something, whatever we mean exactly by that, is that, is that if you have been invalidated a lot in your life, you might actually not know what true north is. Mm-hmm. You, know, so to speak. you might not really know what it is to be calibrated because you've been responding to an invalidating environment your whole life. And so you never really found home. You never found a home, a ground that you were comfortable with. Because what I was just thinking, if you're recalibrating yourself, it kind of has an assumption built into it that you will know what it is to be recalibrated or to be back in shape or to be back on the ground or to be back in balance. You'll know that. But actually, there's people who don't know that. They don't know what that would be like. So, that, mm-hmm. so the, it's the recalibration is... I mean, calibration and recalibration, I mean, it would be two different things. You, yeah, the people, you know, I was just remembering what um, one of the early, in the early years of my knowing Marsha Linehan is that she, I forget if it, what, whether it was a conversation or a training or something she wrote, but it always stayed with me where she said that um, um, that when she stepped out to work with people with borderline personality disorder. Who were emotionally dysregulated a lot of the time and for very good reason but they really had trouble coming back to center or true north or recalibrating, Mm -hmm. whatever we thought she said she thought if 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 it had worked she the whole manual would have just been mindfulness that actually because (laughs) mindfulness does help you recover it helps Mm -hmm. you discover it helps you see what's going on it helps you wake Mm -hmm. up to reality it helps you calm down. It helps you be aware of the influences on you. I mean, all these things, it's like brilliant. It's a brilliant thing. It's sort of like Thich Nhat Hanh, one of his first wonderful little books, the, the Miracle of Mindfulness, that it is a miracle. And Linehan would talk about how, if only that had been enough all by itself, that's all she would have taught. But actually, she said, these people have, have had such dysregulation in their lives. But they can't, just, they can't just use mindfulness to get there. They need a whole instruction manual about what to do. So I, I sort of think that the emotion regulation model is kind of what mindfulness would automatically do if you already had it in you to get yourself back on track Uh, yeah breaks it down into no now when it comes to in your interpretations let's check the facts about whether your interpretations Mm -hmm. is a reality or not and and do something about that if you're carried away by your traumatic responses and you're doing things that aren't very helpful maybe you can turn around and act opposite that urge and then she gives like a many step here's how to do that so it's kind of like she just Breaks down every little thing that you need to do, and sometimes if one doesn't understand why that's there, it can feel like just a whole lot of instructions. It can be a real turnoff, and that whole diagram can be a turnoff because it doesn't really look like the engine. You know, it doesn't feel like the engine. It's like, what is this? This is not how I work. All these boxes. Um, so it it does. Uh, that's why I like the building your own user manual uh, being a great a great concept um like make your own, make your own scrapbook of skills
1: it's been really funny over the years um how we've shifted how we teach this because mm-hmm. just like you said kate and i have been in group so many times where you know you you turn the page or we've drawn that on the whiteboard with much to my chagrin, like before a group would get started, you are like standing there for 10 minutes, like, oh God, am I going to do this right? And then the clients and us, everyone's dysregulated by it and nobody wants to look at it. Nobody, it's like total avoidance. Like everyone's just like, oh. Um, And so we actually started teaching it in kind of two parts in terms of doing the um, model picture, um, diagram as, you know, as it's intended, and then taking the um, homework version, the homework worksheet, which is the written in language steps um, okay. and giving the, the clients an example prompting event and asking them to pretend that this is true. We're gonna tell them what the prompting event is pretend that it's true and then write down, you know, what's happening for you as it goes um, in the model, but in that list form. Um, and the other funny thing is that we've given the example of going to Disneyland, and I swear, it has the strongest response in like these really divergent polarized reactions, even more than the idea of swimming with sharks. Like people are like,
0: report, I mean, you can see it, you're sorry you just tell people, imagine you're gonna go to Disneyland or you tell Mm -hmm. them, guess what, we're on, Get pack up, we're going to Disneyland. Yes, like we're going to Disneyland, we're going on a field trip Uh
1: and you can see the model. You can see it happening, right Kate?
2: Yeah, we let it like sit for a minute after we announce whatever it is and then we let them know it's not really happening. We just wanna like take a minute (laughs) to take it.
0: I love that. You know, I think, and then, because then, what you're starting with is a real response. You're not (laughs) starting with inculcating this boxy diagram, all of which is useful, but it isn't useful in itself because it's actually dysregulating to even look at it. I mean, it's sort of, but if you're looking at it because you've just had a response like Disneyland, how disgusting, whereas the person next to you just had the feeling of Disneyland, I'm so excited it's like oh all right let's diagram that these two emotional responses what was your interpretation what was your action urge what was your expression and you really i think that's another thing like that would be like building your own so you got to start with your own response actually looking at the engine not looking at the diagram about the engine i think i think that helps you know, there was a, a way of teaching in a different module once, and I forget if I've ever told any of you guys this, but in, in starting um, to teach about interpersonal skills and how to be skillful in asking for what you want or be skillful in saying no to people, that all the fabulous skills in this manual for that, is that um, I used to start that group by having my co-leader and I, and it was a woman named Cindy that I used to teach with a lot. And uh, I would start the group and there'd be many people sitting in a circle. And we're all looking at this book and uh, we're starting, uh, we're getting started in the, and I'm saying, okay, we're going to talk today about interpersonal skills and how to ask for what you want stuff. Two minutes later, Cindy walks in and it just seems like she's late, but it was staged and she walks in and sits down and then she opens her book. And she starts saying, okay, guys, good to see you all. Today, we're going to talk about interpersonal skills and asking for what you want. I said, we just did that. I just started. I'm teaching today. And then she said, no, you're not. Well, you and I agreed. I'm teaching today. I said, but you walked in late. I mean, what do you expect? She said, well, big deal. You've never been late in your life. And then she's like, so no, I'm prepared. You and I agreed the other day. I said, we did not agree to that. We agreed that I was going to do it. And we got into a battle that went up and up and up. And you could see the clients in the group going with their eyes getting bigger, like, oh, my God. <laughs> the world is, we, we, we got very intense about it. And then we stopped. And then I, I stood up next to a whiteboard. And I said, can anybody say, was there anything skillful that Cindy did in trying to get to be able to teach? And then, and then I wrote everything down. Is there anything she did that wasn't so skillful? What about me, is there anything that I, and when, when I said no to her, was there anything skillful, was there anything? And then, then we're starting with a real example and then people can really like get their mind around the example and see, oh, this is why we need this, is that Charlie was so dysfunctional in the way he said no, that they'll never have a relationship, they'll just have fights, you know, and things like that. So it's, uh, what you did was sort of the equivalent of that with emotion, mm-hmm. you, you, you created trouble on purpose. Yeah <laughs> exactly as John Lewis would have said we you, good trouble <laughs> good trouble you yeah. created good trouble in the service of learning this you got an emotion going and and then you can look at it um mm-hmm. even and it'd be very interesting following up the idea of, of of having everybody build their own user user manual is that yeah. if you had once that happened you don't jump right to teaching the model as Linehan developed it. You then have everybody uh, diagram what, what happened. how would And I don't know what would come out of that. People would come up with different things. Some people wouldn't know what to say. But you maybe have to structure it a little bit and say, okay, I want each of you to write a little flow, sh- flow, sh- flow sheet, flow chart, or a, a little with arrows or whatever you need to show here's what just happened. And then see how theirs come out. Because sometimes if you do something like that, you find that actually it's just common sense. And then you look at the manual, and you look at what they did, and it, there's a lot of overlap, which mm-hmm. then, which then builds on what they already know, rather than have them have to learn a totally new thing, which actually they sort <clears throat> of know in their own language anyway. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, that's. I really like that that idea. I really do. Even if there's blanks, like, or even if even if they're not quite sure, what have you. Um, And I think that also gives a sense of efficacy um, and kind of reclaiming, like understanding what's going on for oneself as opposed to that, you know, kind of having it then not just mirrored by the environment, but kind of forced upon. So,
0: right. And you could actually, you could have people work in twos, in little teams. Okay. We're going to have, you guys are going to work in twos for like 10 minutes and uh, you can call on us if you want for help, or you can just do it totally yourself. Come up with your way of explaining what just happened, your model, what, what what happened just now. And then you'll see what comes of it. And then you, you know, you're starting with them rather than starting with yourself and seeing what they make of it. Um, I've done that with distress tolerance skills where I'll say I want um. I want each of you to think about an event that was really terrible or difficult in your life, very challenging, and it was hard to get through, but you did get through it. Now, I want you to write down everything you did to tolerate the distress and get yourself through. And then they all work for a while. And then I go up to the whiteboard and say, so when we start making a list of everything they say, and they said, well, I found that I had to accept the reality of it. Okay, that's a good one. I found that I was distracting my mind in order to. I had to calm myself down. I sort of just breathed for a while. Mm-hmm. I told somebody how I felt. And you get all of these lists of things. And you say, we didn't even need Marshall in a hand. And you guys, you did <laughs> it. Like, I mean, you just got like 75% of the teaching of this entire module just now. This was fantastic. You, we, we, Do you want to learn any of the rest or do you want to move on? No, now that we've said our piece, let's see what Marshall Linehan said. And then it's like, that's sort of like, I guess we're talking about it just a different way of teaching that maybe all of us have come across in different modules, but Mm -hmm. to start where people are at. Um, And that's the hardest with this module. It's the hardest because of this boxy diagram, which is actually brilliant. But it actually doesn't look brilliant when you look at it. It just looks like, oh, my God, this is not me. I mean, this doesn't look like me. you know. And so it, it, you really have to work hard to realize that this has in it just a, like, as I went over last week in the podcast, like 10 different factors that all work together towards creating an emotion. And if you want to regulate the emotion better, if it's not a well-regulated emotion here's 10 areas where you can intervene, but mm-hmm. to do that, you have to like, you know, really feel like it's worth it, and you know what it is, and you probably shouldn't start with 10, because it's overwhelming, mm-hmm. it's just too much cognition. Um,
1: I feel like my anchor, because um, I never realized, you know, when I was younger, that I was using that, this model, um, but I think essentially it was that um, that my anchor has often been, um, body sensations, both on the left, um, the the model has two like long rectangular, um, you know, kind of parts of it. And the left side are the things that happen, um, you know, in our kind of automatic, um, nervous system piece. So it's not necessarily things that we actually fully have control over necessarily, like, um, our heart rate and you know butterflies in your stomach or what have you um and then on the right hand side it has um you know kind of the body sensation things that are more kind of visible to the world like smiling or frowning or laughing or or how we kind of behave with our body and and i definitely am prone to um rely on my experience of of those kind of sensations to be able to let me know, oh, there's something going on that I need to check in with myself about. Yeah. Um, and I, it's it's funny to reflect back um, on it after after all these years of, you know, learning about DBT, teaching DBT, and um, thinking about that, that's really just been my natural go to yeah. for so long.
0: But I think you must have something that adds into that, because if you, let's say you felt a sort of queasy in your stomach, it might be the same feeling in your body. If you were about to go on a date with somebody that you were really wanted to meet, but you were nervous about meeting them, and you were excited, but also scared, and then mm-hmm. queasy in your stomach, it could be the same feeling mm-hmm. you get when you're sick, and mm-hmm. you grow up pretty soon and you're trying to not throw up. It could be the same feeling you get when you sit down to dinner at somebody's house and they're serving something that you've never seen before and it's like, oh, my God, I have to eat that. I mean, you get the same queasy in your these. So you may start grounding yourself there, but then you have to look to your context. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm not queasy in my stomach right now because I'm going on a date with somebody that I'm excited about. I'm queasy because I'm about to have to eat something I've never seen before. uh, (laughs) oh yeah it's Um.
3: what I it's what I do when I drink coffee too fast um because when I drink coffee too fast my heart like no no my breathing gets out of whack like I start breathing really shallow and breathing my oh I just can't get like good breaths in and then usually for me that's a sign that I'm feeling really anxious and so that's what I so similar with what Nicole just said like I'll pay attention to my sensations and I'll notice like my breathing's weird What's going on? So I'll pause and I'll ask myself, like, what did I have coffee today? If I did, did I drink it too fast? Um, when,
0: when, and when you do that, Ruth, I think that uh, that's where you're, um, you know, in DBT speak, you're, mm-hmm. you are activating your observer, yeah. your self observer, mm-hmm. because even to be asking that question, oh, <laughs> am I feeling this because of this or because that suggests that there's another part of you that's tuning in and watching? And that's mm-hmm. the most important thing. And that's the thing that mm-hmm. people have been invalidated a lot, don't they? don't think they have that. And mm-hmm. so they have to look to other people to see what's going on. They can't look to themselves. Right. But if you can mm-hmm. ask, I mean, I think, you know, we'll stop in just a moment now. It's, I think it's been the full hour. But um, I think the, uh, there's this one emotion that isn't even listed in the book of, of the emotions. Uh, the, the 11 emotions that are in the skills manual that Linehan goes over in great detail, she leaves out the emotion of interest. Uh, interest mm-hmm. as the action urge of curiosity. And it's kind like, to bring in the emotion of interest in the middle of another emotion uh, can be a really useful thing, like help the person line mm-hmm. up with their curiosity rather than line up with their fear or line up with their rage or like okay well I, I understand that you're really pissed off at that person but i wonder if you're at all curious about how that happened or who that is or what or what your response is or whether it reminds you of some and then you you've, you've activated another emotion but you're also getting someone to observe themselves it's something i haven't played with enough in my mind to say anything more than that about it Hey, I I, it, I don't like to go past time because people count on if they're going to listen, they listen for an hour. Some people, some people listen for a minute and then they leave, probably. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do want to thank the three of you because you know I just I invited you here and you like threw yourselves in and I really appreciate that. You know the skill of willingness, um, and uh, mm-hmm. nobody seemed to get really willful while we we're talking. And. <laughs> <laughs> and and I was it wasn't exactly like, you know, I wasn't like Oprah and you guys aren't like Megan or uh, or what's his name? Harry, <laughs> Harry. <laughs> <laughs> and it was still an interesting conversation and I really appreciate it and it advanced my thinking and I hope someone listening got got something out of it. But thanks very much all three of you for doing this with me.
3: Well, thank you Charlie, it was fun. thank you charlie
0: nice all right you guys i i i go into the evening now but in california you probably have to go back to work (laughs) yes (laughs) good
2: to see you guys all right Bye. Bye. bye bye